The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit shadygrovepca.org. We're given attention here to uh, Daniel uh, chapter 9 verses 20 to 27, and we, so far we've looked at Daniel 2, and then we looked at Daniel 3, and then Daniel 7, and looking at Christ as he shows up in the, in the book of Daniel, and um, this is one of the hardest sermons that I've ever had to prepare for, and uh, I fear uh, there's an expression, if there's a fog in the pulpit, there's a mist in the few, and I'm afraid that it might be pouring out there because there's a little fog up here. And it was easy when I read little. The more that I read, the more confused. Uh, this is a knotty passage with lots of knots, and we're going to do our best to try to stay in the fairway and hit some of the major points and may just touch on a little bit of some of the difficulties of the passage. Um, but hopefully we'll be able to see... Uh, Christ in this text, and uh, we need the Lord's help. So let's uh, look at uh, Daniel 9, 20 to 27. And this is uh, Daniel as he was praying, and then he says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word, understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Therefore, know and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with, moat, with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the prince of the peace who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we ask that you would give clarity and help. Our very troubling passage. And we ask that, Lord, you would open it up for us, help us to understand, help us to see Christ Pray that you would minister your grace to us, Holy Spirit. Pray that, Lord, you would speak through your word. We pray that, uh, Lord, we would know afresh 
that all scripture is youthful, useful, God-breathed, and um, builds us up. And we ask that it would do that here this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we jump into the, the vision here, and this is interesting that this is Gabriel speaking here, and Gabriel is going to speak again to Mary, obviously, as we know. But here's his first message, and he's speaking here in Daniel, and it's in the midst of Daniel's prayer. And what Daniel's prayer is all about is the 70, right? The 70 years, which is a big deal. So God's people have been in captivity. And we've talked about this at the, the book of Daniel in the context is for a people of God that are taken into a foreign land, they have been uh, conquered by the Babylonians. And in three different waves of deportation, they are taken down to Babylon taken into enemy territory, and they've been removed from their homeland. And these, uh, the deportation begins in 605 B.C., then again in 597 B.C., and then kind of the end is 587, 586, where uh, Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, and the people of God are taken down to Babylon. But Daniel was one of the first people taken down. And, this is, and so if, you, if this is a literal 70 years, and, and that is debatable because it doesn't quite exactly equal 70 years, but this idea of 70 years is in context. because And Daniel's recalling it. So if you look back to the very beginning of the, the prayer in Daniel 9, um, Daniel knows we're getting close. And he's now in the first year of the reign. He says in verse 2, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years according to the word of the Lord of Jeremiah the prophet. So he remembers Jeremiah 25. He remembers 70 years we're going to be in captivity. But then you promise that we're going to come back in 70 years. So we're almost there, Lord. So, um, And they must pass before the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And so... What he's concerned about is that have the people of God repented? Have they really repented? And so he's making confession. And so he begins to make confession. He says, singular, I prayed, verse 4, but then it's all about we. And he's including himself, even though he wasn't the people that had led them into uh, sin. He says, we have sinned, verse 5. We have not listened, uh, verse 6. And then... To us, verse 8, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. And we keep seeing this we, we have rebelled, we have sinned, we have sinned. And God has, they're waiting on the Lord to deliver his people. And so he tells him, he says, um, he's praying for God to make his face to shine upon the sanctuary, which is desolate. And he says in verse 18, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. I love that. that. I think that's how we should pray, is none of us come today because of our righteousness. We come because God is merciful. And so there's this sense of like waiting and waiting, and they've been waiting 70 years, and yet the answer that the angel gives is actually, well, you're going you're gonna to have to wait some more. There's going to be even more waiting. But in the waiting, there's going to be this anointed one is going to come. And yet he's going to be cut off. And so it's this mixed blessing of like mixed news of like, is this good news or is this bad news? Because on the one hand, it is kind of bad news because 
The 77s are decreed for your people, verse 24, in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, <clears throat> to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision, and to anoint the most holy. There's six things that have to happen. And it's, it's 77s are decreed, they haven't happened yet. And I would say ultimately all six of those things they're waiting for to be, happen in Jesus. Who's going, to put, who's going to finish transgression and put an end to it? Who's going to put an end to a sin? Who's going to atone for wickedness, negatively speaking? Who's going to do that? And then positively, who's going to bring in everlasting righteousness? Who's going to seal up the vision and prophecy? Who's the one who's going to be open up the seals in Revelation? And who's the one who's going to anoint the most holy? Who's going to be baptized and anointed at his baptism? And who's the one who is, says he's sanctified himself in his prayer in John 17? All these things, I would say, are fulfilled in Jesus. But the people of God are going to have to wait. And so Daniel's realizing this, this 70 is now being responded with 77s. And the 77s is sometimes translated 70 weeks. That's 77s. And so Gabriel said that the exile had, had ex, has, has basically been extended from 70 years to 70 weeks of years, or if you're taking this literally, that would be 490 years. Because the people of God had refused to repent, God is now multiplying the length of the exile by seven. And the idea that God would cause a sevenfold increase in judgment against his rebellious people was actually something that was spoken of in the covenant with Moses. Leviticus 26, 18 says, If after all this you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. And so here we have this applied sevenfold increase to the exile itself. We're getting a delay that's going to be 70 times 70 years. And so I think for perhaps, <clears throat> you know, contrary to popular interpretation of the prophecy of the 77s, I think it's really key that we first of all see that it's in response to an answer to prayer. And the context is, context is captivity. And, and Gabriel's response is that Daniel will be restored, his people will be restored to their homeland. They will be delivered out of exile. He wants, and Daniel's you know, pleading for, he wants to see the temple rebuilt, Israel and Jerusalem thriving again. And I think if we just read this and we kind of jump to the end and say, oh, this is referring to this end time when there's going to be a literal temple rebuilt and animal sacrifices will beginning again and then there's going to be seven years of tribulation and the Lord's going to then all of a sudden suddenly return. You have to ask, and this is a very difficult text because there's many people that believe that, how would that have been helpful to the original reading audience? Or could that be reading too much into the text? I think rather that the, the context is trying to give Israel hope and yet more patience as they're waiting in the midst of their, con in the midst of their captivity. And this 70 years is now being delayed and now we're, we're getting, there's gonna be an even greater captivity. There's still this, you know, even when you come back, you're, you're still not gonna be delivered just yet. There still has to be these six things that have to happen, but it's coming. A Messiah will come, this anointed one will come. And so uh, we're learning that the, the, the exile is about to end and it's going to come. And so uh, we are seeing an answer to Daniel's prayer. Um, but that's where this, this text gets 
really quite confusing, does it not? Because you have to ask yourself a lot of questions. Um, and the questions would be, okay, are the 70 weeks, or the 77s, is that a literal 490 years? And if so, when does that begin? And is the anointed one, there's, there's anointed one is mentioned twice, so there's anointed one in verse 25, and he's called a prince, and we're told that he's going to introduce just the, the uh, first seven weeks. And then it says an anointed one will be cut off in verse 26. So the question is, is that the same anointed one or is that two different anointed ones? And a lot of conservative scholars, uh, well, some will say neither is referring to Christ. Some will say both are referring to Christ. My particular view is that Jesus is the second anointed one, but the first anointed one in Isaiah 45, God talks about how he's raising up his anointed one, and it's Cyrus, and he's going to raise up this pagan ruler who's going to send the people back to the promised land. He's going to send them back, but that happens. The problem with that is that happens real soon, right after this. This is like Daniel's praying in like 540 BC and, and Cyrus is coming on the scene and is going to deliver them back and the temple is actually going to be rebuilt in 520 BC. So those that have this nice time scheme of Artaxerxes making his decree and around 445 sending the people back, you add 30 years past and now into AD, it's right at the time of Christ, the 490 just fits perfectly, Messiah's cut off. It, it doesn't, the numbers don't really match up with Cyrus. So your anointed one has to change then to Artaxerxes. It just gets really troubling and very confusing. And then you have this uh, anointed one, the second anointed one. Uh, and this word anointed is where we get the Greek word Christos, where we get the word Christ. And it just says he shall be cut off and have nothing. And then it says the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And then you got to, and its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Is that referring to Antiochus Epiphanes that comes in the, in the 170s BC? Is it referring to Titus when he comes in 70 AD and destroys the temple? Or is it referring to some end time future antichrist that's going to come and at the end of the world? Good question. And then it says, you get this wonderful question in verse 27 of the he, in verse 27. He shall make a strong covenant. And so the he always has to have an antecedent. If you know anything about English, which I know very little, but a he has to have an antecedent. So what's the antecedent? Well, they say, well, it has to be the prince. But the prince isn't the subject. It's the people of the prince. The prince would be the genitive. So the people would be... It can't be, is the people the antecedent? Well, that's plural. So who's the antecedent? Is it the anointed one? Is it Jesus himself, the anointed one who's cut off? And if it isn't antichrist, how can an antichrist make a, a covenant with many for a week? So you see where this gets confusing? I'm just starting to scratch open the, the knots, okay? This is a very difficult text, but I'm just going to tell you where I land and get to the plane of the text that I think we can see that Christ is, we know that this text is meant to give hope. And we know that in Daniel 2, we see that in the midst of these four kingdoms, there's gonna be one that's gonna come, right? This little stone 
and this little stone's gonna become a great mountain and fill the whole earth, and you have these great kingdoms, but this little stone is gonna conquer all these kingdoms. Then you, you, you get it again in Daniel uh, 7, we see all of a sudden this, this one like a son of man, he's gonna conquer all these other kingdoms, and these other kingdoms are described like a leopard and, and, a, and a lion and a bear, and, and yet this son of man is gonna conquer them. And so here, we see that the anointed one is gonna be cut off though, and seemingly like have nothing. And so Daniel is troubled by this. Um, so I, my take is that the he in verse 27 is actually referring to the Messiah. And because this idea that he will make a strong covenant, the idea is that it's not making a new covenant, it's ratifying. It's, it's continuing a covenant that's already been made. And yet, and that's what the Bible has been pointing to all along. We looked at it in Sunday school this morning. If you take your, your reflection quotes in your bulletin, we were looking at these wonderful, amazing stories of, of the beginning of the Bible and how God made this promise to Abraham. And this promise to Abraham was that through your offspring, all the families of the earth are gonna be blessed. All the nations will be blessed through this offspring. And this offspring is, the, is gonna come from the, the seed of the woman, or to all the way back to Genesis three, and he's gonna crush the serpent's head. And so we get this picture, this first promise of the Bible is that someone's gonna come from the seed of the woman, and gonna crush the serpent's head, is gonna deliver us from where we have fallen now into sin, and we read about that in that shorter catechism, and now we're all, you know, we're undergoing the miseries of this life, and we're subject to the pains of hell forever, like, this is some big time stuff. We're, we've got a big problem. And yet God, in Genesis 15, we looked at it this morning in Sunday school, we hear about that God went between the pieces. And the idea was that when you made a covenant, you would cut up these animals and you would split them in half. And you would make the lesser party, the one who'd been taken captive, you'd make them walk between the pieces. And if you don't keep your end of the bargain of this covenant, like today we say sign on the dotted line. Well, back then it was you walk between the pieces. But Abraham didn't walk between the pieces. He fell asleep. But he sees God walking between the pieces. And it's God that's described as the, the flaming torch and the smoking fire pot, is that God's presence has shown up and he walks between the people. And he's based, God is swearing by himself that I will keep the covenant. I, if you, if you fail in this, I will be responsible. And the idea of walking between the pieces is may it be done to me if it's not fulfilled. May I die, may I be cursed, may I be left bloody, may I suffer the consequences. And so God in walking between the pieces is, is foreshadowing to us a bloody end and ultimately it will be the bloody end of Jesus. And then we get in, in Genesis 22, we get the same picture again that now Abraham is told to take his son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him up, offer up this firstborn as an offering to me. And Abraham obeys. And his son says to him, and it's right here in your bulletin, he says, uh, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb. God sees, 
God will see, is, is literally, God will provide the lamb. Well, how does he do that? I mean, it was wonderful for, for Isaac. He gets delivered. You know, the knife's about to come down on him, and there is a wonderful lamb in the thicket. But when Jesus cries out for help, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me at the cross? There, there is no other lamb. He is the lamb. He is the lamb. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and this is what Daniel is forecasting and, and prophesying in advance, that an anointed one, a Messiah, is going to be cut off and have nothing. And yet he's going to make this covenant. He's going to make this strong covenant. He comes and we're told in Jeremiah that there's going to be a new covenant. And this new covenant's coming after these 70 years. And what's the new covenant about? That I will remember your iniquities. I will forgive their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. That's the covenant. That's the new covenant. And Jesus comes and says, this is a new covenant in my blood. Shed for many. For what? For the forgiveness of sins. And here Daniel is, is pleading and, and looking for confession and he's wanting his people to repent and, and it's not enough. He's being told 70, it's gonna be another 70 times seven. And here's what needs to happen. There needs to be, there's a finish the transgression, put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal the, the vision and prophet, anoint, and it's all gonna be in Jesus. And it is gonna happen, whether it's 490 literal years, but it came in Jesus. And he is telling about this desolation that's coming. He's, he is telling about Rome's going to come. And Titus did come with his armies in 70 AD. And it was nasty. And he burnt Jerusalem to the ground. And Jesus talked about it. When you see them coming, don't even, don't even go back. Run to the hills. Flee. Because it will be terrible. And for pregnant women, it will be terrible at that time. And it doesn't mean women, you know, don't have children now and you should always be scared. It was forecasting a 70 AD. Jesus is talking about this is going to come down, these desolations. And Jesus does refer to in, in the Olivet Discourse in Luke 21 and Matthew 24. He does talk about this is going to happen. He points to this event. He's referring back to Daniel 9. But he's also pointing to himself that he's going to be the one that's going to be cut off. But he talks about Jerusalem is going to be conquered again by the Romans. This is going to happen. Jesus was cut off, we're told, in Isaiah 53. That he, literally the same word here that's used in Daniel 9 is also prophesied in Isaiah 53. That Jesus would be cut off, stricken for the transgression of my people. And twice we're told in the scriptures, both Psalm 22 and Zechariah, 12, that Jesus would be pierced. He says in, in Psalm 22, that dogs encompass me, a company of evil do doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, which is literally quoted at when Jesus is on the cross. And then in Zechariah, it says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And so Jesus has come as the fulfillment of this prophecy and he has been cut off for us. But I want us to also see there's another picture of the Bible that often gets overlooked. I think we, we read a passage like this and we 
kind of jump to the New Testament and we forget the Old Testament. This is what Leviticus 25 talks about with the Jubilee. And it says this in, in, in about this Jubilee year in Israel. And it was a promise that was that the people, that when they possess the promised land, they will experience this jubilee. This is what it says in Leviticus 25. It says, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years. Sound familiar? So that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall, then you shall sound the loud tr- trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, when each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vine, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the land." And so what we see is Gabriel's choice of 77s reflects the jubilee pattern of Leviticus 25, which reflects God's covenant that Yahweh made with Israel at Mount Sinai to possess the land of promise. The people of Israel counted seven sevens of years so that the 50th year was declared to be a jubilee year. When the jubilee year came, liberty is proclaimed throughout the land during which time the land was able to allow to rejuvenate and all the monetary debts were to be forgiven and slaves to be set free and God promised to bless both land and his people. Now while this is commanded in Leviticus 25, there's no record elsewhere of us seeing this jubilee year actually being observed. But now when we see, now Gabriel's referring to this that there's going to be one who's going to come. He's going to put an end to sin. He's going to finish transgression. He's going to atone for iniquity. He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. He's going to seal both vision and profit. He's going to anoint a most holy place, and it's going to be 70 times 7. And so what seems like it's a delay and also a judgment is now also going to be a blessing because the year of Jubilee is going to be fulfilled. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, what does he say? He talks about how the anointing is on him. And the anointing is on him to set the captives free. And he's saying, I'm the one bringing in the jubilee. He brings in the jubilee and he sets us free. And how does he set us free? By being enslaved himself. And he is even, becomes the covenant curse and dies on a cross to set us free from our sin. And so he puts an end to these things with this strong covenant that he makes by his blood. And so when we think about Advent and why Christ has come, that all of these Old Testament passages are being fulfilled because the Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And so ultimately we're seeing that Christ had to come. He had to take on flesh. He had to be an, make an offering for sin. And the whole book of Hebrews talks about how the, the whole Old Testament system, all of its sacrifices, all of its bloody Offerings and all of, the, all of those things were all a foreshadowing. They're all pointing to Jesus comes. And John the Baptist points at him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so now that he has come and paid for sins, he says at the cross as he's dying, he says what? It is finished. It's paid in 
full. Jesus has fulfilled these very things. Now, there, there are some weird things here that I can't really explain, <laughs> where it talks about, you know, there's still one final week, and there's a half a week, and Revelation is going to go into that a little bit. And I don't have time this morning to expound Revelation and Matthew 24, but I think that we know from the bigger picture of Scripture that we see that there's times of persecution that are all throughout the Bible, but that God's people are going to be delivered. He says, in this world, you're going to have troubles, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And he's overcome all of the hellish uh, things that were against you, and he nailed them to the cross so there'd be no weapons against you this morning. If you're in Christ, you have everything that you need for life and godliness. And so as we come to the table this morning, let's remember that God loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Come to him this morning. Let's pray. Father, bring rest to these weary souls, we who battle with sin every day, we fail every day, we sin in thought, word, and deed, and we thank you that Christ has come and that he has put an end to sin and that all of our sins have been paid for on a cross. And we thank you that we have been rescued from the devil himself and from his minions. We thank you that we've been transferred out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. I pray that you'd open up our eyes afresh and for those who may not know you, those that are serving sin and Satan, would you deliver them? We thank you that the Messiah has come and that he was cut off for us and yet raised on the third day. Lord, fill us with joy and peace now as we come to your table. Minister your grace to us, we pray in Jesus' name.